Cobb's Elaine Cobb tells us why. A British charity says 34 lower-income countries are spending $30 billion every year on debt repayments and just $5 billion on tackling climate change. The Jubilee Debt Campaign says urgent action is needed and it's calling on wealthy nations to provide climate finance and cancel debt. Your child's not as safe as you might think in that car seat, but a proposed law would change that, as CBS's Jim Crisula tells us. Federal highway safety regulators would have to create mandatory tests for booster seats that mimic side impact crashes. Boosters currently only have to undergo crash tests that simulate a head-on collision. A soccer hero ends her career on a high note. After 17 years and 316 games on the U.S. women's national team, Carly Lloyd says goodbye. I hope that you know that I gave it everything I had for every single one of you. Her speech on Fox Sports followed the women's blowout win last night in Minnesota, beating South Korea 6-0. 6-2, that was the score when Atlanta beat Houston in Game 1 of Baseball's World Series yesterday. Game 2 tonight, this is CBS News. If you're checking for fever, the leading sign of COVID-19, beware of dangerously inaccurate non-contact thermometers. Instead, learn about Exergen at exergen.com. Maureen saved big shopping epic daily deals at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. And with her brand new tableware, everyone's welcome at Maureen's table. All of her family, friends, even her neighbor with the pet. Hey, has anyone seen a ferret around here? Found it. Dig into Amazon's epic daily deals. Spend less, smile more. At Lowe's, we believe fashion and function should live together, especially when it comes to flooring. That's why we put together a showroom with the top stylish brands like Bruce Hardwood, Smartcore Luxury Vinyl, and Satori Tile, all known for their reliable durability. See everything our showroom has in store for you. Order now and get it installed with help from Lowe's. Home to any budget, home to any possibility. Install available in-store only through independent contractors. See Lowe's.com for details and licensing. U.S. only. The NFL is not going to release the report on its 10-month investigation into allegations that the Washington football team engaged in harassment and abuse. Commissioner Roger Goodell says that's because investigators promised to protect the identity of those who testified. And finally, a groundbreaking comic leaves the stage. Mort Saul was one of a new breed of comedians in the 1950s and 60s, men who relied on newspaper headlines, not one-liners, to get audiences to laugh. Nixon is a kind of a guy who, if you were drowning... 20 feet from shore, would throw you a 15-foot rope. <laughs> Kissinger would go on television and would say that the president had met you more than halfway. Time magazine described him as Will Rogers with fangs. Woody Allen said Saul was the reason he decided to do stand-up comedy. Are there any groups I haven't offended? No, we're all in good shape. Thank you, one and all. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. Mort Saul, dead at 94. I'm Vicki Barker, CBS News. Fever is the leading symptom of COVID and the flu, and the only way to reliably detect it is with an accurate thermometer. Be vigilant and be accurate with the Exergen Temporal Scanner, whose accuracy has been proven in more than 100 clinical studies. Don't rely on non-contact thermometers. They are proven to be inaccurate and will not reliably detect a fever that might mean COVID. Be sure to seek medical advice at the first sign of fever. Learn more at exergen.com. Pro football season's here, and pro roofers save valuable time with Beacon Pro Plus. Beacon Pro Plus works 24-7 for material ordering, order history, and automated promotion tracking, so you can get your favorite GAF roofing products even when working remotely. And now, order on Beacon Pro Plus and get a $175 gift card and a chance for a VIP pro football getaway. Gear up and raise your game with Beacon Pro Plus today. Build, score, and win at BECN.com. King Ace Hardware in Middleport, Ohio is proud to carry Magnolia Home Paint by Joanna Gaines. Joanna has partnered with Kills to create a premium paint line and a coordinated color palette that makes creating classic looks simple. And with its hardworking durability and stain resistance, you can protect the value that you create. So to start turning your vision into a reality, come talk to the helpful folks at King Ace Hardware in Middleport. 
Raising kids is expensive. Food, clothes, childcare, it adds up quickly. The child tax credit puts money in your pocket now. You could be receiving up to $300 a month for each child. Nearly all families with children are eligible, even if you don't normally file taxes. If you have not been receiving your payments, the application deadline is November 15th. HapCap is available to help you apply and answer any questions. Call us at 740-270-3247. That's 740-270-3247. Hey, it's Boots. We'll talk auto treasures, classic car pleasures, and we'll raise your blood pressure. Happy Halloween. That's AutoSmarts Friday afternoon at 106 on 970 WATH and 97.1 FM. Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. You are powerful. You're a warrior who bathes in your enemy's tears. Then you step out of that refreshing tear bath and into a bathrobe that somehow looks good on you. Yeah, you can pull off a robe. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you save money for driving safely with Snapshot from Progressive. Mmm, savings you can use to buy more robes. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents. Maureen saved big shopping epic daily deals at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. And with her brand new tableware, everyone's welcome at Maureen's table. All of her family, friends, even her neighbor with the pet. Hey, has anyone seen a ferret around here? Found it. Dig into Amazon's epic daily deals. Spend less, smile more. Start your mornings with Scott Daly from 6 to 12. Hop on the party line from 9 to 10. Join Sky Hope on Classic Caravan from 4 to 6 p.m. And listen into the sports fan at 6.06 on Classic Hits 970 and 97.1 FM WATH. Here at A Work of Heart, we know winter is coming. As you decorate your home for fall and Thanksgiving, we are getting ready for Christmas. We have scores of pieces of beautiful new art, many designed by our local artist, D. Jones. Pumpkins, scarecrows, snowmen, gingerbread men, winter gnomes, horses, goats, cows, sheep, pigs, roosters, and so much more, many with inspiring sayings. We also have hundreds of gift ideas that can be personalized on our laser engravers. They make great gifts for all occasions and any season. Usually, you can take the personalized gifts home the same day. As we head towards Christmas, we have the best selection of snowmen in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Many of our snowmen have signs that can be personalized with names to make unique gifts that will be treasured for years. That is a work of heart, Grand Central Mall. Come see us today, now open 10 to 9 in Grand Central Mall, or find us online at aworkofheart.biz. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. Well, I know many of you found us over on 97.1, but it's so nice to be back on the air up on our full channel, 970 AM. And uh, congratulations to three or four of our engineers and some people down in uh, New Orleans. They got it fixed. Hey, it's a special edition today of the Party Line. going to introduce to you someone you probably already know, and that's our, my longtime friend, Jack Ellis. Well, it's 43 degrees outside. They say it's going to climb up to 55. They say also it's going to be partly sunny. I doubt it. I just <laughs> doubt it. But anyway, good morning, folks. Welcome. Jack Ellis, good morning. Morning, Dave. Welcome. You know, Thank when you. I think back of Athens, I arrived here in late 73. <coughs> Excuse me. I arrived here in late 73. And I think you were among the very first people I met. And certainly, um, you know, you made an impression on me. And your representation of uh, in in your role as head of development for the university and all of that, um, uh, and uh, and we've been in so many organizations together over the years, in different 
efforts. It's just a pleasure to have you on the air. Well, that's very kind of you, Dave. Uh, of course, I've, I've known you since you first arrived, and uh, we have been friends through the years. I've admired your good work in the community as well as uh, through the radio station here at WATH. Sure, but sure. uh, uh, it's a delight to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we're going to pretend we don't know each other real well. And I, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions uh, for the sake of our listeners, okay? So, Jack, where were you born? Well, I was born in Frankfort, Kentucky. Ah. My family and my parents were both from that area. All of my relatives were from that area as well. But uh, my family moved to Chillicothe, Ohio, when I was just a, a baby. So I considered Chillicothe to be my hometown. Sure. Although, although I spent a lot of time in Kentucky, uh, visiting with relatives and, and spending time there in the suburb through the years. But uh, Chillicothe is basically my hometown. I, you see, I hadn't known that, and I think that's neat. Now, your parents' backgrounds, um, you know, professionally or, or just personally? Well, I was an only child. Uh, my dad uh, had limited education. I think he went as far as the eighth grade. But he was a very intelligent fellow, never stopped learning, yeah. grew up on a farm. Uh, his father had a tobacco farm in uh, outside of Frankfurt, and he also had a contracting business. So my dad learned to work at a very early age and developed a lot of skills, uh, both in farming as well as in contracting. But what brought him to Ohio is that he, in those days in the 1930s, Shoes were still made by hand. They were cut by hand, yes. and uh, he was a skilled uh, shoe cutter, as they called it. Huh. And uh, there was a, a shoe company in Chillicothe that was struggling and had been in business. It was called Red Cross Shoes at that time. I think later they changed it to Gold Cross Shoes uh, because of Red Cross and, and, yes, a, and yes. a war. But they hired a number of professional shoe cutters or makers, whatever mm -hmm. their various skills were, from Kentucky and brought them to Chillicothe. So my dad came up in 1933, and my mom remained in, uh, in Frankfort, Kentucky. I was born in 1934, and then uh, during sometime during that year, my mom uh, actually moved up to Chillicothe. And so my dad worked for a shoe factory there for a number of years, and then got into uh, various things. He got into the painting contracting business, that a skill that he learned mm -hmm. uh, through his, with his father's business. And, uh, and then my mom was, of course, uh, she was a housewife uh, most of the, for most of her life. She had some part-time jobs you know, during the holidays and things like that. But basically, she was a, a homemaker, and, and I had a, really a good family, good family life. And uh, we were not wealthy, but we lived comfortably, and and uh, being an only uh, an only child, I probably had a lot more comforts than I deserved. There you go. Well, think back. Um, so, like um, junior high, high school, that sort of thing. What were some of your interests back then, Did you, or activities that you participated in? Well, in high school, um, I participated in some sports. I ran track, and I played on the football team. Now, were you a lang uh, distance runner? or? Uh, no, I was a dash. Okay. I, I ran the dashes, did broad jump, and uh, the 100-yard uh, dash, yeah, 220, yeah. 880 relay. Sure. And uh, played halfback on, on the football team. I was, I was a fairly good uh, runner. I was an average uh, football player, however. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I was active in things in high school. Um, uh, I had a, a friend who uh, remained a friend of the rest of his life. He became a, a, a surgeon, actually, and he and I uh, played uh, ukuleles. No and so we had a duet, and we performed uh, around uh, the community and uh, in plays and things in high school. And uh, so, so this included vocal as well? Vocal and play, yeah. yeah. I, I played a baritone uke, and he played a tenor uke, huh. or uke, however you want to call it, ukulele. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of our activities. So that sort of got me into a little bit of exposure uh, 
uh, dealing with the public, although I was not, I was never terribly comfortable uh, in speaking situations, and uh, I guess that's uh, probably more normal than abnormal. But uh, anyway, but I kept busy, but uh, I always had a, uh, I, I enjoyed the independence of trying to make a few dollars on my own, so I always had a job, seemed like, growing up. Um, I delivered the Cincinnati Enquirer, which was a morning paper, for several years, uh, which was always challenging during the winter months. Now, did you live in Chillicothe? I lived right, I lived right in Chillicothe, So you yes. could do a, a, a walking route, eh? Well, it was not a walking route. Oh. I had to I had to pedal my bicycle uptown to get my papers, fold them, and then start delivering them uh, uh, from that point back, and then I'd end up back at home and freshen up and then go to school. Yeah. Uh, in the summertime, uh, uh, the drive-in theaters were just becoming a vogue after World War II, and uh, uh, the, they opened up a, a drive-in movie theater there in Chillicothe. I was 11 years old, and uh, to work at one, you had to be 12, so I fibbed and told them I was 12, so I got a job as a, <laughs> as a car hop, if you know what that is. Uh, and also, as cars would come in, we would uh, offer to clean our windshield, you know, yeah, yeah. for a tip. <laughs> and as a car hop, you take orders, and uh, actually, you uh, you spend your own money doing the uh, doing the order, taking the order, and then delivering it back to the customer. And you hope that you would do a good job, and you earn a nice tip. Mm -hmm. So that's when I first started getting, dealing with the public and learning a lot about, I think, human nature. And uh, also the the independence of uh, earning a few dollars here and there. So I always had a job. Sure. Did you do you do you recall as a young person having oh what do I want to say a vision of a profession that you wanted to follow or or pursue? You know I I really didn't. Uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do and. And probably as uh, I enjoyed working with the public, I enjoyed uh, working with people. And um, I, I, at one time, I thought I might want to get into personnel work. I think maybe that was kind of a target that I mm -hmm. had. But um, I was—I really was uncertain. And as a consequence, when I got after I got out of college, I got into several different professions, uh, all basically kind of leaning towards sales and uh, discovered I was fairly uh, adept at that and, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. So uh, I, well, I, I kind of wandered about, but uh, I always kind of wandered with a little bit of direction, I guess. It, it, was there a particular subject, you know, like history or English or whatever, uh, that um, um, you excelled at? I wish I could say that was true. Yeah, but not necessarily. <laughs> I don't think so. But I was a I was a decent student. Um, mm -hmm. I uh, I was probably a, a B average student in high school. And, that's better uh, than I, I was. And, uh, pardon me. That's better than I did. But that's well, <laughs> but uh, I always enjoyed history, and I still have a a, a great affection for history. And my wife. Uh, can attest to all the history books I have in my library at home. So I still collect and still read. Uh, so I, I think that was not something I thought that uh, would lead me into any mm. particular career, but it was it was something I enjoyed. And uh, beyond that, I, I, I just kind of took courses that were prep courses for college. Neither of my parents had, had gone, as I say, my dad was like, had an eighth grade education, but uh, he continued to learn well, through sure. the years, and, and one of his great sources of information and expansion of knowledge was National Geographic. Oh, yes. We always had a bunch of National Geographics at home. He always subscribed to that magazine and just thoroughly read it from cover to cover. Uh, but I was the first generation of any uh, of my father's side of the family or my mother's side of the family to go to college. Well, college. Um, here you are in Chillicothe. Now, you had some choices. And, um, you know, there's a number of 
colleges and universities within a short distance, you might say, or what I would call a short distance. Um, which one did you select? Well, I initially, uh, this will probably be another example of my wandering, but yeah. I initially I always thought I was going to go to the University of Kentucky. Huh. And, UK, uh, huh? UK. Uh, I had some, some friends in my high school class uh, there were four or five of them who were going to go down to Miami. And they asked me if I would go to drive down with them. I'd never been to Oxford hmm. or Miami University. Really knew very little about it. But I went down with them just for the the, the pleasure of their company and, and the trip. Mm -hmm. And uh, they went down to apply for admissions. And while I was there, I had nothing to do. So I s took the entrance exam. And next thing I know, I'd been admitted to Miami. <laughs> so, so actually, I started my career at, at, at Miami University. Well, we won't hold that against you. Um, <laughs> well, it's where you finish up. That counts. That's <laughs> right. And uh, I love to tease Miami. I lost a, 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 my first girlfriend to that university. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a fine school, and uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, my... Uh, there were five of us from my class who went to Miami, mm -hmm. and um, we were all decent students at that particular time, unbeknownst to us that uh, our collective grade point average our freshman year was pretty high, and as a result, Miami gave a scholarship to a, a freshman from Chillicothe coming in from the next year. Mm. But then uh, uh, I joined a fraternity, and my... Uh, Social life uh, really increased, but my grades decreased to the point that, uh, yeah, to the point that I was home for Christmas vacation in middle of my junior year, and as I was getting ready to go back to college, my uh, folks said, "Well, Jack, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm getting ready to head back to Miami," and they said, "No, we don't believe so. So we're, we don't believe we're getting uh, the proper return on our investment." <laughs> which was a kind way of pointing to my grades. Yeah, yeah. And I just had that. Now, being an only son, I've always, I've looked back upon this many t many times as a really a tough love decision on the part of my parents. And uh, they always they strongly believed in education, and they wanted me to get a, a college degree, or at least get exposed to a higher education. But to tell them, to tell their only child that they're going to cut him off financially because of his grades, that was really a, a tough thing to do, but that it was a turning point for me. It really was a very positive thing that uh, influenced my life. So they said, if you want to go back to school, you're going to have to figure out how to do it yourself. Fortunately for uh, me, there was a company in Chillicothe called Bead Paper Corporation, uh, and it was at once upon a time, it was headquartered in, in the Chillicothe, but their largest operation was in Chillicothe. And they were very good at hiring college-age students to work in the summertime, which I had done for s several summers. So uh, they gave me a day job, and I was working from 7 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon, six days a week. Hmm. And I took courses at the Chillicothe branch, the Ohio University of Chillicothe branch, which was in the high school at that time, and it was a night school. So that next year, I carried 30 hours. I earned 30 hours of, of courses uh, and saved a lot of money. And uh, rather than going back to Miami, transferring to Miami, uh, I just transferred down to Ohio University in Athens and finished my degree at Ohio University. So that's how I got to Athens. Well, somewhere along the way, of course, you met Sue, right? I did. Now, was Sue uh, also from Chillicothe or somewhere else? Well, she was born in West Virginia. And uh, her father was a, had been a coal miner, and I think had probably had lost a, a, a couple of brothers uh, in the mines. Oh and he was smart enough to uh, see that's not something he wanted to do the rest of his life. So he uh, left West Virginia and moved to Ohio, and ultimately made his way to Chillicothe. And he was again a man not with a lot of education, but uh, had a lot of entre entrepreneurial spirit and ended up getting into business for himself and had a very successful business in Chillicothe. And uh, 
So Sue and her family, uh, uh, several of them were born in West Virginia, several were later born in Chillicothe. I think there were eight in her family ultimately. Mm. So I met Sue on the steps of the YMCA mm-hmm. in Chillicothe. The Y was uh, quite a, a center yes. for social life for high school students and, and uh, even for young college students. So I was in my, at the end of my uh, freshman year at, uh, uh, at at home in Chillicothe, in freshman year at college, I should say, mm-hmm. and she was uh, just completing her junior year in high school, and I met her on the steps, front steps of the, of the YMCA, and I don't recall exactly the particulars, but anyway, that summer we we dated, and that carried over into the the next year when I was into my sophomore year at Miami. She did come down and visit for a couple of social occasions. Mm-hmm. And we had a, a very serious romance, but I was not a very good uh, co- correspondent in those days. You know, we didn't have cell phones. Right. So you either wrote letters or you called, called long distance, and I did neither of them very well. So at some point she had enough of that and uh, dropped me as her, <laughs> as her beau and <laughs> took up with, uh, I guess, some local people. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I was crushed at that point, but uh, anyway, uh, that's what happened. And some eight years later, we got reconnected. In eight Cali- years. It got wow. reconnected in California. She had come to visit her sister, who was living there and who had married an OU graduate and a fellow who grew up in my same block in Chillicothe. So I showed up on the scene when I heard that she was going to be there, and we got the romance going again and we and we ultimately were married in uh, in Riverside California uh, well so when when it was um, so you got your bachelor's degree in what well it was in business administration although in those days it was called the College of Commerce it was mm-hmm. not called the College of Business Administration they changed that later from commerce to, to uh, business I started out in studying geology at Miami, and then uh, switched to uh, business administration, and uh, which was a good move for me. I was more business oriented, I think, than I was science oriented. Although my first job out of college was with an oil company, strangely enough, it was with Richfield Oil, which is now called Arco, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, and uh, but uh, but it was in the business uh, end of it rather than the, the exploration end. Sure. And uh, the um, the move to California, what prompted that? Well, uh, in uh, 1954, I graduated from Ohio U in 1957. Uh, I was a late a year late. I, sh- I should have been a 56 graduate, but to do my circumstances and have having to work for a year to earn some more money, it took me an extra year to get out of school. But um, uh, I had uh, three of my high school friends and I had volunteered for the draft in 1954 and we went to California waiting for the draft board to call us. So we spent about three months out in Santa Monica and uh, uh, you, you might find this of some interest because uh, on Saturday nights we'd go down to the Aragon Ballroom in Santa Monica and we'd kind of compete with the sailors and trying to meet girls of to dance with whom to dance. And the band leader there, the resident band leader, was Lawrence Welk. Uh-huh. I'd never heard of Lawrence Welk at that time. That was 1954. In 1955, he went on national television. Yeah. And Sue and I still watched Lawrence Welk every Saturday night that we were in town on PBS, the Lawrence Welk Hour, 7 o'clock. With WUB. <laughs> WUB, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So. Well, so... Um, well, I, anyway, I, I, to finish the story, uh, it turned out that none of us ended up go, going into the service. But I thought at that point, if I get the opportunity again, I'm going to go. I love California. I wanted to go back out. So uh, when I graduated in '57, one of the one of the friends that went with me in '54, we both headed to Los Angeles. I had bought a car uh, to, uh, when I went to uh, Ohio U. So I still had a mortgage on the car, and so my dad took over the mortgage of the car and took the car, and I took his 1949 Chevy, 
which was paid for. And my friend Bernie and I headed for California. We drove out to Los Angeles and settled in Glendale. And he ended up going to work with Boeing, and I ended up going to work with Richfield Oil. And uh, that's what took us out out there. Well, so um, I've got to move a little faster <laughs> on my end because I have so many other things to talk about. Well, I'll try well, to cut well, my answers. No, I'll, I'll, I'll be I wasn't. Over brief. Didn't mean to be critical. So, um, so what year did you get married? Well, we were married in 1960, January 1960. And so you were we, living where at the time? Well, we were living in Riverside. Okay. And uh, Ultima, Sue uh, was a nurse. She graduated from a nursing school in Cincinnati. Right. And uh, uh, so we were living in Riverside. I was uh, district manager for... Sperry ran at that point, and my offices were in Pomona, which was uh, about a half-hour drive from Riverside. Sure. And Sue was a nurse. Riverside had a, a European-style raceway, and they had some terrific races, but they also had some uh, remarkable uh, crashes. Excellent. And cons Sorry. consequently, uh, uh, some of the uh, casualties would get uh, taken to the Riverside Hospital, and they were terrible. So they trained some special nurses, and Sue was one of them, to become trauma nurses mm. that later became known as ICU, intensive care nurses. So mm. she had very special training. and uh, But ultimately, uh, we moved to uh, Pomona, and our oldest daughter was born in Pomona. Sue, Sue was a surgical nurse at that particular point in Pomona. And then later, we moved to Arcadia, California, and our Two other daughters were born in Arcadia Methodist Hospital. Hmm. Well, okay, so let me see. Once again, the year. Uh, so what year did you, I'm sorry, that I'm getting a little fouled up here. So at some point, you had the opportunity to come to Ohio University, return to Ohio University, but in a, in a, um, not in a business role, but rather... What was your first gig? Well, uh, it, it was in a business role, but what led me to uh, come back was uh, really kind of fluky, if I might get into this a okay. bit. Uh, uh, moving to Los Angeles in 1957, the uh, alumni chapter for Ohio University out in that area was called the Southern California Alumni Chapter. Sure. And it ranged, uh, it, it had a broad scope from Fresno down through Los Angeles down to San Diego. And uh, so I went to a, a couple of meetings and really enjoyed it a lot mm -hmm. and uh, became acquainted with a number of the board of directors uh, or board of trustees, whatever they might be called. But these were some pretty prominent business people in the Southern California. And uh, not only did I enjoy it, I thought, well, this, you know, an opportunity for some business connections, too, because I was in sales with uh, Sperry Rand at that point. Mm. And uh, uh, I, I met some people there that I really became good friends with. One of them was a doctor, uh, Jerry Sprague, who turned out to be a, a cousin of the Sprague family in Athens, mm -hmm. who I didn't know at that point. But I knew Jerry Sprague. He was a very prominent physician in, in Encino. And, uh, and and others, but uh, a fellow by the name of Richard O. Link, who you know, and, and yes, uh, indeed. Uh, I don't know how many people around Athens would remember him, but Dick Link was an inter a, a manager of many entertainers. He discovered and managed Andy Griffith for his entire career and Jim Neighbors and several others. And uh, Dick had a just an abiding love for Ohio University. Uh, having graduated from the university in 1941. So when he moved to um, Los Angeles with Andy Griffith to start the Andy Griffith Show in early, late 1959, early 1960, Dick immediately uh, got involved with the Southern California Alumni Association. At that point, he and I met, and I and I never been able to figure out why, but he kind of took me under his wing and we became good friends. And he really became a mentor, uh, in, in, in effect. I became president of the Southern California Alumni Association. Hmm. And in my second term, uh, Dick was happened to become 
national president of the Alumni Association, was back in Athens for, I think maybe for homecoming, and Vern Alden was president at the time, and Vern mentioned to him that they were looking for an alumni director. And Dick, unbeknownst to me, mentioned my name. So uh, uh, Dr. Alden called me and invited Sue and I to come back to Athens to interview. And uh, it was something that, so, so far from my, my thought process, it was just something I had never considered. And quite honestly, uh, and I've said, I said to Dr. Alden later, to me, it was a free trip to Ohio that Sue and I could come back and visit, visit our families in Chillicothe. So we came back and we interviewed, and lo and behold, he offered me a job before uh, we got out of town. And uh, I said I would ha I'd have to consider it seriously. It was a big change. It took me, about, took me about four months to decide. But I accepted the job as executive director of the Alumni Relations Program. Came in April 1967. And then Sue and the children didn't relocate to Athens until September of that year. And uh, I had many second thoughts as to what I had done because I, Sue and I had our own home in California. I had, we had th three children. And when I came to Athens, I was initially renting a room on State Street that, that mm -hmm. owned by an older home owned by an older couple, and they had one bedroom. A graduate student had a second bedroom, and I had a third bedroom. We were oh, all my. sharing a bath. And a uh, good grief, Jack! What have you done? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what it all turned out well. Well, um, and, and think of it. I mean, you know, changing from just the lifestyle of one of our nation's largest cities uh, to Athens, you know, that's, it's uh, really different. It really was different, but it was a, a very positive change. And, mm -hmm. and as, as we've grown through the years, Dave, it's even become more positive because uh, we love Athens. Uh, we like living in, in Southern California at the time, but it has changed so much. Mm -hmm. We have no regrets whatsoever about coming back to Athens. And I remind Sue uh, quite often that when we go to a concert or to a football game or something like that, you know, at 10 or 15 minutes, we're home afterwards. I said, we wouldn't even be out of the parking lot in Los Angeles at that time. Right. Well, so, Mercy, you've, let's see. So the year was? 1967 when we, 67. When, when we returned, yes. We returned with three children uh, and then we had a son that was born in Athens in 1969. And uh, so they all went to Ohio University, all graduated from Ohio University. And uh, so uh, it was a, a great opportunity for them and for us. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a decision that we've never had any second thoughts about. Now the title that I recall, or the, the, the description of the department is advancement. Now, uh, was it called that when you arrived? No, it was called development. Development. Development, yes. Um, now, um, y you were named to be the chief of that. That's when you arrived, right? No, when I first arrived, I, I was the head of the Alumni Association. Oh, okay. And Marty Heck was the oh, yes. vice president for development. And he oversaw the development, alumni relations, and and the Ohio University Fund, as it was called in those days. So I was uh, appointed uh, the alumni director in 1967. In 1969, uh, Dr. Alden asked me to become the director of development, and uh, I was quite, quite frankly, I was reluctant because I, as I said to him, I said, you know. Dr. Alvin, I know absolutely nothing about development. <laughs> and I said, you're going to have to at least give me a year to learn something about it before you, get, before you evaluate me. And he said, that's no problem. And then it turns out he submitted his resignation shortly, right, shortly thereafter. Right. So I, did, I didn't know where my future was, was going to go. But I got into development in 1969. And uh, that was the chief development officer. And I had there's one had one staff person other than myself, and then and then I mean as a fundraiser, and then we had uh, secretarial staff, yeah. had a couple of people in the OU Fund accounting office, and 
that was the extent of it. But uh, now I, I got here in late '73, mm-hmm. and let's see, Keith Welsh was with you, right? That's right. And then there was another guy. I want to say David. Dave Scott. David okay, Scott. Dave Scott. That's correct. That's correct. And then, as you said, some some administrative help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my daughter's associated with that department these days. She is. She does a great job, too. And, uh, you know, when I... I think there's 70 or s- almost 80 people working there. Um, how'd you get it all done back in those days? Well, uh, y- you do with what you have. Yeah. And, of course, that was a small operation. They... Uh, you know, I think the advancement office raised like $40 million last year. It takes a lot of people to, to, to do that, to make those kind of calls. And uh, when I became the d- director of development, I had no background in that area at all. That, that's all changed through the years. There are now uh, universities that offer courses and, and degrees in fundraising. And uh, we had none of that. I, I'm sure I wouldn't be... I, I wouldn't be competent to be hired today with what I do at that time so I kind of learned on the job uh, as we went along so we just we started small and we just grew and uh, you know when uh, uh, we, we ran our first campaign in in the 19 uh, I think we started it in 1977 1978 and our goal was like 14 million dollars which by today's standards is chicken feed but at that time it was very very important because the university had never undertaken anything quite like that we ended up actually raising over 20 million dollars in that campaign charlie ping was here at the time as as a, as a new president and then that led on to the next campaign the third third century campaign where we raised over i think it was over 130 million dollars and so you know you kind of build on the shoulders of those that who went before you, and right. uh, so it, the, the program is, has become increasingly important. In the early days, uh, I remember John Baker, who uh, created the Ohio University Fund, and it was with his intent that they ran a campaign, and it was his intent that it be on an annual basis, but the first campaign was pretty successful. They raised, you know, maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, and everybody in, in faculty and staff and community people thought it was just a one-time deal <laughs> so so John said it fell off dramatically the next year it mm. took a long time to build it back so it, it's it's kind of a habit for me you know, habit building as well well um, I, I think of all the people you have met in this role as sort of the head of advancement or development. Um, And, you know, what your goal is, is for them to financially help support the university. That's right. And um, so you're meeting the cream of the crop, you might say, as well as a whole lot of others that just have an affinity for the university. Now, um, that's... That's really time-consuming. You know what I mean? It, and it requires a lot of special events, inviting them here, getting them engaged, making them feel their alumni relationship. Um, and not all of them were alums. There were many others who believed in a particular program that the university had developed or something like that. Um you have known an awful lot of people. And that's got to be a thrill, right? Well, it really was and uh, and remains so, Dave, that uh, uh, it was one of the joys of the, of, the, of the business and of the career, getting to know these people and bringing them into the relationship with the university. And so many of them really became just very good friends mm-hmm. and uh, I, I, I jokingly say on, on occasion that 
so many of my good friends are now buildings at Ohio University. Uh, yeah, their name is <laughs> yeah, it, right. That's right. Uh, the Russes, the Stalkers, and the Conikers, and uh. you know Galbraiths, and so it it was a it was one of the joys of the career to get to know these people and to associate with them. And uh, as far as the fundraising aspect, uh, I found that if you could get to know these people and get them engaged within the university, uh, the, the fundraising became rather natural to them because they would recognize the financial needs of specific programs or individuals and, uh, and, and want, to, want to become uh, a, a financial backer for, for the, whatever the respective need was. So they kind of sold themselves. You didn't have to sell them. But that, that was one of the, I think, one of the key things about the Ohio University Foundation is that initially it was called the OU Fund, and it had only nine trustees, and they met periodically, but not often. And uh, so one of the first things I wanted to change was to change that. And uh, they had, like, lifetime memberships, and, and you can't expand uh, under those kind of conditions. So we changed the, the bylaws and expanded the board to, I think, initially 30 mem potential members and then 50 and, uh, uh, and opened it up. And it became such an important co component of the university that uh, people aspired to become members. And as a result, uh, how, how, how do you develop a feeder system? Uh, recommended that we, I recommended to the, the dean of the College of Business that we create a board of visitors for the College of Business. And that was done. And then er, since then, every other college within the university has their own board of visitors. So in, in essence, the board of visitors is sort of like a small, smaller version of the foundation board of trustees. Mm -hmm. But it uh, also became a, a kind of a pipeline for those people to go, go on to the foundation board at some point. As I recall, the first thing I was asked to um, join was a new thing called the Trustees Academy. Mm-hmm. And um, they had various different ways you could do it, but here I was a young person, and um, I could take out a life insurance policy. Mm -hmm. And um, with the university being the benefactor of that, uh, my passing, so to speak. Right. Um, and I think that's uh, you know is still in place. And then you could also kind of designate to what area of the university. Um, you wanted to be the benefactor of that uh, that gift, mm -hmm. and in my case, it was athletics. But um, I've done some other things since. Yes, you have. You certainly. So, have. what? Um, that's golly. There's so much more we could talk about, but we only have ten minutes remaining. Now, let's talk about. <coughs> excuse me. A couple of the things, you know, when you think of. Ohio University, or any institution, uh, there are periods of ups and then there are periods of downs. And we're talking about, um, it can be pride, it can be finances, it can be, um, it, it can be anything. And like right now, it seems to me there's a certain amount of concern about future enrollment and stuff like that. Um, I, uh, what's 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 your take on all of that? Well, it's uh, I've lived through several of those cycles personally, and uh, the university uh, remains strong. It's it's I think it's strong uh, today as well. Uh, but there, uh, my first encounter was with a, a down period was in the 1970s. I think it began in around 1970 when uh, it, it, it was promulgated by several things. Uh, one, of course, the Vietnam War uh, being part of it too. Uh, right. A number of students were, or a number of young people arrived on campus who tried to avoid the draft. That's understandable. Uh, but uh, state of Ohio in 1970 had they 
they provided the same subsidy for out-of-state students as they did for in-state students. Hmm. So Ohio University's enrollment in the 19, early 1970s, about 30%, 35% of the population were out-of-state students, heavily from New York, Pennsylvania, and also, from, of course, from Cleveland, which is not exactly out-of-state. But uh, in 1970, I believe it was, the state of Ohio eliminated, uh, they, they cut the out-of-state subsidy by one half, and they eliminated, eliminated it altogether in 71. So uh, that caused a, a, a shortfall in our out-of-state enrollment. About the same time, Cleveland State came online. So a lot of students who were coming to Ohio University uh, from the Cleveland area, uh, for whatever particular reason, finances or distance, uh, enrolled in uh, Cleveland State. And then shortly thereafter, other uh, municipal or semi-private universities like Akron, Cincinnati, for example, uh, became state universities. And uh, so that further drained away from Athens. You know, getting to Athens in those days was not an easy task. Mm. Uh, I can imagine driving from, from Cleveland to Athens, it must have taken eight hours to get down there. It took three hours to get to Columbus from Athens. So that all affected our enrollment, and when, you, when your enrollment declines, so does your budget and, and, uh, and the conse consequences of all of that. So uh, uh, that was the first uh, experience we had, and that was the kind of uh, situation we had when Dr. Pink became, became president. And uh, fortunately, he saw the quality of the institution for what it really was, not just necessarily the, f the financial consequences. Uh, and uh, I think he saw finan the financial dilemma we had as being temporary. Uh, we were also at that point f uh, desperate enough for students to uh, take just about anybody who was breathing, <laughs> except anybody who was breathing as long as they had the money to come to school. And uh, Dr. Ping did change that. He made it more selective, and it seemed like, uh, you know, like a lot of things, if, you, if it's hard to, to acquire, you want it more. So by becoming more selective, more students started wanting to come to Ohio University. That had changed our, our, that had changed our enrollment uh, situation, and we get started getting more students, better students, and uh, our, our budget situation improved. During that process, however, we eliminated several buildings because they were uh, of no use. We eliminated Howard Hall, which was over on the, you know, the corner of uh, Union and and uh, University uh, uh, College Street, yes. across from the old Baker Center. And they eliminated uh, Carnegie or uh, Ewing Hall, which is up on top of the hill on the College Green, and some other buildings and and. Uh, of course, uh, one of the big things that happened that was a, such a, a strong bonus for Ohio U was the creation of the uh, College of Osteopathic Medicine in 1975. Mm -hmm. And that took a lot of the buildings on the West Green, uh, put it repurposed them for the, the College of Medicine. So uh, things changed. What we're going through today, I'm trying I to believe we'll, we'll see that. That's a transition. Help I, me with the name of the fellow that we brought in for the College of Medicine. Uh, the acting dean. Well, he was yeah. the promoter. Yeah, he was, and yeah, I'm sorry, offhand, I can't. I, I no, can't think of it. I can't think of his name either. But he, he was, was remarkable. He and was from the Michigan State. Yeah, yeah, he was very, very, very good. And um, you know, uh, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. exactly. And that's what it took. Yep. I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, that's that's okay. Uh, but. Uh, Things run in cycles, and uh, we'll come out of this cycle uh, again. I know the university is trying to dispose of some properties that uh, are only a financial drain right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I th our and this has Hugh, happened before. It has, and Hugh Sherman, I think, is going to be, a, a, and it's not going to be, is an excellent president. He's a strong businessman. He was a superior dean for the College of Business, just did wonderful things there. And I think that uh, Hugh will set the stage very, very well for the next president, whoever that might be. In our last three minutes, can you recall an 
experience or two that just you'll never forget. They were so amazing in your career at Ohio University. Oh, gosh, Dave. There's so many, I know. Yes, that... uh, uh, I can tell... And then I'll tell you a little story while you're thinking of yours. Uh, A couple homecomings ago, um, I was invited up to the president's box there up in the tower. And I walked in, and um, there was Bettina. Mm. Bettina Link, Richard Dick Link's um, widow. Widow. Mm -hmm. Sitting all by herself, having a bite to eat. And I went right over. First of all, folks, those of you that know me, I'm short. Okay, 5'5". Bettina is probably 6 foot. Um, She's uh, striking. Uh, but, um, you know, what <laughs> she's very tall. And uh, we had a great conversation. And finally, I walked around and said to a couple of important people up there, do you know who we have here? And they didn't. And that's because so many years have passed, you know. And uh, here's a, um, well, anyway, it was an interesting thing. Well, uh, I, as a matter of fact, I just got an email from Patina yesterday. She's in Hawaii, and uh, well, they had a home there. They had a home. You know, after she, actually, she graduated from Ohio University. I don't know whether you're aware of that. Or no, not. I didn't know that. She started at the school at UCLA. She's a California gal. Then she got into show business. She was an actress. Yes. And uh, but when Dick moved to Athens to teach for four or five years after his career. She came and finished her degree at Ohio University in journalism and had started on her master's degree mm. when they decided that Dick got tired of the cold weather and they moved to Hawaii. But in her be- email to me yesterday, she said, uh, uh, Jackson, I'm really looking forward to coming back to Ohio. I'd like to see you and Sue maybe next year. And I'd like to bring my granddaughter, mm. her eldest granddaughter, whose name is Elle, in, in high school. She said, I'd love to see her go to Ohio University. So, uh, you know, Dick had a daughter from the first marriage, Nancy, mm. who graduated from Ohio U. And uh, uh, Petita just loves Athens and loves o- Ohio University as well. So we may have a continuation. There you go. From, I'll look uh, forward to it. So, well, uh, um, Jack is, um, you know, we have 45 seconds. I'm just, I want to really thank you for all of your, the care you've placed on the different positions you've held here at the university. We haven't covered even a small portion of um, all the stories that we could, and maybe we'll have to have another edition. Well, thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, uh, as you gather, I'm not very brief in my <laughs> And my comments well. and conversations, but it's been a, a wonderful career. I, Sue and I love Athens. We love Ohio University, and uh, one of the best decisions of my life is was coming here. There you go. That's In it, our seventy-second year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM nine seventy and ninety-seven point one FM. WATH Athens. Is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Vicki Barker in London. The State Department adopts gender-neutral passports. The U.S. has issued its first passport with an ex-gender designation, a milestone in the recognition of the rights of people who don't identify as male or female. The State Department says it expects to be able to offer the option to non-binary, intersex, and gender non-conforming people early next year. CBS's Jim Crisula reporting. Across New England this morning, crews clearing downed trees. The October nor'easter packed a punch in eastern Massachusetts. Wind gusts hit 80 miles per hour in some towns, knocking out power to thousands. It's coming through the chimney so you can hear it. Trees were toppled, landing on houses, roads, and this one trapped a woman in her car, forcing firefighters to free her. CBS's Laura Podesta reporting outside a London courtroom today. 
Inside that courtroom, U.S. prosecutors are appealing an earlier ruling that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange not be extradited to face 18 criminal charges. Britain's Queen Elizabeth will not be traveling to the big U.N. climate conference in Scotland next week, doctors' orders. Her aides insist it's business as usual for the 95-year-old monarch. But the cancellation of her trip to the climate conference is sure to raise concerns. Sunday Times royal correspondent Royal Nika told us she thinks there will be a gear change in the kind of work the Queen does and the distances she travels. Nika also expects the Queen's workload to now be under constant review. CBS's Roxana Saberi. Coronavirus. The FDA is expected to approve approve the Pfizer vaccine for 5 to 11-year-olds within days. A new study examines how the pandemic has affected their parents' financial health. A majority of workers got no pay raise or promotion over the past year, and a slim majority is earning the same as before the pandemic. A new Bankrate.com survey notes, however, that 16% got a better-paying job, and middle-income Americans fared best of all. CBS's Elaine Cobb. Game two of the World Series in Houston tonight will go on without Atlanta pitcher Charlie Morton, he fractured his leg in last night's game. Braves manager Brian Snitker. He's such a great person, great person and teammate. And I really hate it for him because I know he was really looking forward to this run with us. Atlanta beat Houston 6-2 last night. Brazilian senators have voted to charge President Jair Bolsonaro, claiming his policies or lack of them cost countless lives in the pandemic. The charges go to the chief prosecutor, though, who's a Bolsonaro loyalist and likely to protect him. 600,000 COVID deaths in Brazil, almost as bad as the U.S. This is CBS News. Indeed helps find great hires fast. Indeed is your all-in-one platform for interviewing, screening, and hiring high-quality people. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. At Shell, we know from the time you get up to the time you wrap up, Good night. there's a lot of meetups, eat-ups, and hurry-ups. So come to Shell and get three things done at once. Fill up with Shell V Power Nitro Plus to help keep your engine running like new. Save up with the Fuel Rewards Program and never pay full price for gas again. And snack up with in-store rewards to save even more at the pump. Make the most of the stop you need to make with Shell. In engines that continuously use Shell V Power Nitro Plus Premium Gas. And see full terms and conditions at FuelRewards.com. I'm Dr. Stork. Why give your family just ordinary eggs when they can enjoy the best? Eggland's Best. The only eggs with more fresh and delicious taste, plus superior nutrition compared to ordinary eggs. With six times more vitamin D, ten times more vitamin E, 25% less saturated fat, and 38% more lutein. Because the way we care is anything but ordinary. Only Eggland's Best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. A New York State school district warning parents about this Netflix hit. District officials in suburban Syracuse have sent an email to parents explaining children have been playing their own version of the survival game depicted on Netflix hit show at recess. The note says it doesn't meet Mott Road Elementary's guidelines, so kids will have to save their red bodysuits and black masks for trick-or-treating. Squid Game is about deeply in debt contestants playing children's games in hopes of winning fast cash. The losers are killed. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. And finally, TripAdvisor says almost a million reviews submitted to its site last year were fraudulent. That's about 3.6% of the total. The travel guidance platform says two-thirds of the fake reviews were caught in time. TripAdvisor has dismissed past suggestions that the real number of fake reviews is far higher. I'm Vicki Barker, CBS News. I'm CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger. Dealing with car repairs can feel like a lose-lose situation. You lose your money and your time. And if you don't have the right coverage, just one repair could bleed you dry. If you call CarShield, you won't be worried about expensive repairs anymore. CarShield administrators handle the paperwork and expensive payments, so you don't have to. It's a win-win. Seriously, CarShield could save you thousands. You get to pick your favorite mechanic to do the work, and CarShield administrators take care of the rest. It's like they're your own personal team of auto repair problem solvers. Plans from CarShield even provide roadside assistance, rental coverage, and trip reimbursement, all at no additional charge. Whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles, CarShield has monthly coverage options to fit your budget. Get coverage today and see why CarShield cars go farther. Visit carshield.com jill to save 10%. That's carshield.com slash Jill. A deductible may apply. 
Welcome to the Wednesday morning program of Make It Happen here on 970 WATH with one Kim Valentor, one Ruth Dudding, and I am happy to welcome back one Jesse Castle, the dietitian, dietetics intern at the Athens County Health Department. So with that, Ladies, we welcome you in and welcome in the sunshiny voices of three wonderful gals here talking about uh, some interesting information today. So when I got the information uh, from Kim, my response to her was, yum. (laughs) So does that tip you off about anything about what they may be discussing today? I bet it doesn't. (laughs) Right, right. Well, I think your comment about Yum was probably the first of maybe more several sarcastic (laughs) comments we'll have on the show today. Because we're talking about gut bacteria. Yes. How does that strike you, Scott? Oh, that (laughs) strikes me right in the gut, man. Right Right, there. Right, right. Indeed. Hi, Jesse. Welcome back. Hello. Happy to be here. Yeah. Good to have you back, too. So, uh, we're glad to have the sunshiny voice of all three of you because we need a little bit today. It's a little cloudy, but we're going to uh, sunny it up here, so to speak, with these three lovely ladies and make it happen on 97 WATH as we do every Wednesday. So with that, ladies, the, the airwaves are yours. Thank you, Scott. And I think if everybody who's listening out there might as well just relax and sit down because we are going to immerse you in the topic of gut bacteria. <laughs> And it's not maybe the most, um, what shall we say, Ruth, most glamorous of subjects that we've ever talked about on the air. <laughs> but it is talked about a lot, especially if you are on the Internet very much. And I think for many years, probably decades, we think of bacteria as something to avoid because it sounds like something that's going to make us sick. And while that may be true some of the time, I think, Jesse in particular is going to help educate us on the role that gut bacteria plays in our overall well-being. Yeah, absolutely. So there's all kinds of great things that it does. Um, When I'm specifically, I think about nutrition and food, obviously. And believe it or not, you have a ton of different gut bacteria in your gut. I found that they said on average, a 150-pound human being can have more than 100 trillion microorganisms in their gut alone. Um, So what do these things do? They do all kinds of things. They help digest foods that you yourself cannot digest. So what I think immediately is fiber. So we can't digest fiber, but these gut bacteria can break it down for us and give us these awesome um, nutrients (laughs) called short-chain fatty acids, which have all kinds of different protective roles throughout the body. So they play a huge role in that, and they also help with the absorption of vitamin B12. So thinking of something like that, like trying to get all your vitamins and minerals in, these gut bacteria help you out with that. They also play an immune system function. So they can help protect our body against harmful bacteria that we may digest or ingest through contaminated foods and water. So they're like our second line of defense, or maybe some even argue our first line of defense instead of our immune system. I, I saw where um, they were talking about your gut is, makes up roughly 70% of your immune system. Mm-hmm. That was surprising to me. It's so incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never kind of thought about my immune system as compartmentalized. 